This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. When a person tries to run away from God, tries to escape from God, and God catches up with that person, and that person is caught, man wants to escape like Adam. Like Adam, he tried to escape in Genesis 3.10. Genesis 3.10. And he said, Adam said to God, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. But God caught up with Adam. He caught him in verse 21, Genesis 3.21. Genesis 3.21. But unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. That was God who took hold of Adam, who took hold of Adam and said, Adam, the sin of your nakedness is showing. I'm going to clothe you now in coats of skin. Later, I'm going to clothe you with the Lord Jesus Christ, with Jehovah Jesus himself, and you're going to be covered. That's the day of atonement. That's the day of covering that's celebrated every year. So, so God with that take hold of Adam, that's what happened with Adam in Zechariah 1.6. My words, did they not take hold? The other person we see from Scripture who wanted to escape from God, run away from God, was Jonah. Jonah wanted to escape from God. Jonah 1.3, Jonah 1.3. Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But God caught up with him. God caught Noah, Jonah. He caught him in Jonah 1.17. Jonah 1.17, the Lord, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That was God. That was God in verse 6, Zechariah 1.6, verse 6. But my word, did they not take hold? God, God takes hold, God finds, God hounds, God hunts down, he takes hold. This is when, when man wants to escape from, from God like Paul. Paul wanted to escape from God. In Acts 26.9, Acts 26.9, he says, For verily 
I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. But God caught him. God caught up with Paul in Acts 9.3. Acts 9.3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That was God in verse 6, Zechariah 1, 6. That was God. My words, did they not take hold? In all those cases, with every case where a person runs away from God, when a person is running away from God, a person's on the run away from God, there's a, there's a terrible feeling. There's a fearful feeling that God knows. There's a sinking feeling that there's going to come a day when I'm going to run out of gas, when I'm going to have to stop, and that's going to be a day of reckoning. There's a torment of memory, a torment of memory. I've got a memory of memory is killing me, conscious. The law, the law of God, scriptures, judgment. And all this is encompassed in the words, in verse, uh, in the words there, God said in Zechariah, but my words and my statutes, did they not take hold of your fathers? This verse describes the greatest fear of all, that a person is being chased, a person is being pursued, a person is being followed, and that at any moment he may feel the hand of God on his shoulder with the altar, with 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 those words, you are now my prisoner. You are my prisoner. And this haunting feeling from verse 5, from verse 5, your fathers, where are they? Zechariah 1.5, your fathers, where are they? I mean, just think of this in the context of Jewish people, Jewish people whose mothers and fathers have said to their children as minded, you must never believe in Jesus. He is dead. He is not God. He will not be anything for you in the future. He is certainly not the Messiah. And God says about those those Jewish parents in in verse 3, your fathers, where are they? The horrible haunt is that one of those parents who told those things against Christ would ever come back from the dead to their children, would would never come back, never come back. They're never going to come back from the dead. They're never going to say something like, son, daughter, I died. I found out Christ does not exist. I've returned from the dead to tell you that Jesus is not God. I've come back to assure you that Jesus is not God. Not one of them done that. One of, not one of them did that. Not one of them did that. And, 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 and this, is why, this is what God meant in verse 3. Your fathers, where are they? This horrible haunt for all the people is not one person has come back from the dead and said, son or daughter, I've been there. I've been through death. Uh, I've been to the other side. I'm here to report to you, there's no God. I'm going to tell you that. The Bible's not true. Jesus is not God the Son. Not one of them. Not one. Not one. And this is what God meant in verse 3. Your fathers, where are they? Not one has come back to say that the Bible is not God's words. And so his words are, in verse 6, in verse 6, my words and my statutes, did they not take hold of your fathers? Those words mean they got caught. They ran until they were overtaken, and everyone runs until they're overtaken by God. Some get overtaken and repent and are saved, like Paul, and some get overtaken in death without repentance, and they be cast into hell. 
but everyone eventually gets overtaken. Everyone can only run so far. There's only so much gas in the tank. And the difference between the saved and the lost is that the saved let themselves be overtaken as they realize God's coming to me as a friend. God's coming to me not as an enemy, but as a friend. God is compelling in love, not forcing. God is constraining by love, not dragging with terror. God is pointing me gently to the cross and the Savior, not pushing me into a compliance. And that is why the most important invitation that God has ever made to man, that God has ever made to man, and that God makes today is one word, come. Come, he says in Isaiah 118, Isaiah 118, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, Isaiah 118 is not only an invitation to come, it's an invitation to come now. Come now, it says, and let us reason together. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew one eighteen is not just an invitation to come to God. Matthew one eighteen is an invitation to come to Jesus. It's Jesus who said that. In Revelation twenty two seventeen, Revelation twenty two seventeen says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Revelation twenty two seventeen is not just an invitation to just come. It's an invitation to come three times. And all that points to the fact that Life is short. Delay can be fatal. Lay, delay can mean that the opportunity to be saved can be gone, lost forever. So that's why the, the, this is why the heart of God beats for the salvation of man. That's why he starts off this book by saying, sore displeased, wrath, but turn to me, I will turn to you. The salvation of man lies the nearest to the heart of God, and that should lie the nearest to our hearts as well. Now, Isaiah was shown a scene here, a very interesting scene. It goes on and on about myrtle trees and things like that. And Isaiah and Zechariah, he didn't know what it meant. So in humility, in humility, in verse 9, he said, Then said I, O my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said, I will show thee what these mean. This is a beautiful scene. It's beautiful. We can fit ourselves into the we don't know. Very easy. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Someone's uh, talking to me about, the, is it a pre-trib, a mid-trib, a post-trib? I don't know. Anyway, and, and, and we don't know. But we come to God and tell him we don't know. And God says, I'll show you. I'll show you. It says in, in Proverbs one twenty three. Proverbs one twenty three. Uh, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known unto you. When, when we come to the Bible and we don't understand, God says, don't worry, don't worry. I'll send you the best instructor that I've got, the spirit of God. I will pour out my spirit unto you, Proverbs 123. 123, I will pour out my spirit unto you. And the end result, I will make known my words unto you. And now we see Zechariah 
Zechariah, it says, uh, he sees something here. It's an angel in verse 12. It says, then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem, on the cities of, of Judah? It's, this is the how long. He's so tired of seeing all the destruction, all of the holocausts, one right after another, all of the death, all of the screaming and everything. How long? But the angel does something wonderful here that the prophet is to do. And he's making intercession for Israel when he says, how long wilt thou not have mercy? He's fulfilling, when a prophet does this, when you and I do this, it's a fulfillment of a destiny. Intercession, intercession is like becoming a lawyer, a lawyer. We have the best lawyer possible as our intercessor. 1 John 2, 1, 1 John 2, 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have a lawyer with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's a lawyer for when we are in trouble. That's a lawyer. That's not a fair weather sin. That's a lawyer we're in trouble. Romans 8.34 talks about our lawyer, Jesus Christ. Romans 8.34, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that has risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. That's a, you know, I'll tell you something about, unfortunately, I, I know too much about courts and laws, suits and all that's being in there. Anyway, I can tell you from dealing with lawyers that you want a lawyer who can get access to the judge. That's important. You want a lawyer that has a good relationship with the judge. Our lawyer from Romans 8.34 is at the right hand of God. Our lawyer is at the right hand of the judge. The right hand of the judge. You can't get better. It says in Luke 22.31, Luke 22.31, the Lord Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. That's a lawyer who knows when we are in trouble, before we know we are in trouble. Before we know we're in trouble, he's already started to work on our case. That's wonderful. How about a lot of lawyer? How about a lawyer who calls you up and says, you don't know it, but you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. Don't worry. I've already got you covered. I started working on your case. That's the Lord Jesus. It says in Isaiah 53, 12, Isaiah 53, 12, he bared the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Think of it. A lawyer who appears before the great judge and as he's handing his papers, his law papers, to the judge, he's got nail marks in his hands. And the judge sees that. And he says, oh yeah, that, by the way, that's how I paid for the errors of the person I'm representing. That's a wonderful lawyer. Exodus 33, 14, Exodus 33, 14. He said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. When you and I are in trouble, when you and I are in trouble, we want to talk to a lawyer right away. It's terrible to be told by the secretary when you're in trouble. He said, I'm sorry, but he's not available right now. But I'll be glad to give your message when he'll call you back. Or worse, at the sound of the tone, please leave your message. Be worse. You want a lawyer that right now, not later, that's a lawyer who's always with you. And that knowledge that he's always with you brings rest. And that's why I said in Exodus 33, 14, my presence shall go with thee and I'll give you rest. It says in Hebrews 4, 15, Hebrews 4, 15, we have not a high priest 
which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, but without sin. You want a lawyer who knows and understands the fear and the terror that you're experiencing. You want a lawyer who understands sorrow because that's what you're going through. You don't want an ivory tower lawyer who's just sheltered for all of his life. This is a, you want a lawyer who's been there and done that when it comes to suffering with one exception, no sin. That's the Lord Jesus. That's who he is. Isaiah 59, 16, Isaiah 59, 16 says, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him. You know, one time I was downtown and I decided to go sit in a, uh, some random trial and the, listen. And so I sat there in the audience and it was interesting because it was a court-appointed lawyer. And I thought, a court-appointed lawyer, boy, what a poor guy, you know. But this guy was great. This lawyer was really good, this court-appointed lawyer. We have, for our defense, a court-appointed lawyer. The best lawyer who could represent man is God the Father turned to his son when we were in trouble and needed a lawyer and said, there's no lawyer, will you? And thank God, the Lord Jesus said, I will come. 1 Timothy 2.5, 1 Timothy 2.5 says, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. In every court, in every court of law, Supreme Court, all the court, a lawyer has to be licensed to be able to argue in that court. No lawyer can show up in town and says, oh, you don't know me. I just blew in from this place. I'm going to go. No, it's got to be licensed by that court. The Lord Jesus, there's one, there's one God and one mediator, 1 Timothy 2.5. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It means he is the only court-approved lawyer to argue in God's court. But Hebrews 7 24, Hebrews 7, 24. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for him. He ever liveth, he continueth ever, unchangeable priesthood. One thing you worry about with a good lawyer is that he's not gonna, is, is that he's gonna retire. You worry about that. He's no longer gonna be your lawyer. I, 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 told my, I told Dr. Goldberg, my cardiologist over here at Grossman, I told him one time, I says, one thing I'm going to ask you, don't retire until I die. I asked him that. Well, this lawyer, the Lord Jesus Christ, he will not retire. Why? Because of what it says in Hebrews 7, 24, he continueth ever, he hath an unchangeable priesthood. And you could rely on him more than you can on, the, on your fathers, God says to Israel, and on your prophets even. He says, that's what he says in verse, verse 5. Verse 5 of Zechariah 1, Zechariah 1, 5. Your fathers, where are they? The prophets, did they live forever? So all of these words are described by God is when God says, these words that I'm telling you, it says in verse 13, verse 13, the Lord answered the angel to talk with me with good words and comfortable words. I forgot to tell you, that's the title of my message, Good Words and Comfortable Words. But anyway, this verse, good words, good words and comfortable words, that's a description of the words of the gospel. Gospel essentially means, verse 13, verse 13, good words and comfortable words. 
That's what the angel, in essence, said in announcing the birth of the Lord Jesus. Those were good and comfortable words. Luke 2.10, Luke 2.10, the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. That's one of the things they were just singing about in the song. There's joy here because there's Jesus. The gospel is good works, good words, and comfortable words because it's words of sympathy. It's God's sympathetic words to men. Like it said in Isaiah 63, 9, Isaiah 63, 9, in all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. The gospel is good words and comfortable words because it's words of hope. It's words of hope. That's what verse 3 is all about, Zechariah 1.3. That's what verse 3 is all about. Therefore say thou unto him, thus saith the Lord, turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, I will turn unto you. That's words of hope. There's hope. The gospel is good words and comfortable words because it's the gospel is words of payment done, payment in full. It's the words of payment the gospel is. You know, as in, when we say, or when we read, Christ died for our sins, we can think of it as Christ died in payment for our sins. So 1 Corinthians 15, 3, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, where it says Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, could very well be Christ died in payment for our sins according to the scriptures. So this is the message. This is the message of the gospel. This is the message that Zechariah was delivered to Israel. And this is the message worth getting passionate about. The gospel message was, in essence, a message that God gave to Zechariah. It was a message worth crying out. And that's why he said in verse 14, verse 14, the angel that communed with me said unto me, cry thou, saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great jealousy. Not once, twice, God told Zechariah to cry out this message. The first time, it was a cry of jealousy. Now, the second time, God told Zechariah to cry out about how much mercy God was going to show in Israel in verse 16, verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies, verse 17. Cry yet, saying, thus saith the Lord, my cities through prosperity shall yet spread abroad. It's the same cry of passion that God wants us to have with the same precious gospel that Zechariah was given that God commands us in Isaiah 40, verse 9. Isaiah 40, verse 9. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your Jehovah Jesus. Lift up your voice. Don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah the good words, the comfortable words of the gospel, the words to look at Jesus and realize, Isaiah 40, verse 9, Behold your God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are, what you've done, the fact that you are Lord, so hard at work to make sure no one is cast into hell. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.